as you uh, heard me mention in prayer just now, I try and make a habit of not using prayer as an announcement time. I really do. I don't like it when that happens. But uh, felt led by the Spirit to uh, let you know as a body that that's where we are. And uh, one of the three names that we had narrowed it down to as of last Sunday, uh, just since very clearly from the Lord that uh, they were not released from their present ministry. And uh, so we are down to two excellent candidates. Would you pray for us? Your, your transition team met for two hours yesterday. We'll be meeting here uh, in a couple of weeks again, getting ready for that first uh, face-to-face via video interview. Uh, so much can be discerned from that. But more importantly, we need to hear confirmation from God's Spirit and direction. So would you pray for us in that direction, okay? These are exciting days. They really are. Uh, Colonel Tom, would you come on up here, dude? Colonel Tom is part of our transition team, and uh, we have been exploring ways to let our community know what in the world is happening here. You know, part of the problem, and I'm sure you're very aware of it, Unless you drive up Brewer Road, you don't have a clue that we're here. We're so far off the beaten path. And so your transition team is trying to come up with spirit-directed ways of getting the word out of who we are and what's available in worship of our Lord and King Jesus here. Okay? Uh, Tom shared with us an idea that uh, actually you came up with and uh, and now we're going to we're going to get it going. Talk to us Thank about you, it. Thank you, sir. Can you hear him? Yes, I think uh, I can make myself heard. Everybody okay back there? Yeah. Yes, sir. Anyway, uh, I am so privileged to be on this team. That's all right. Use this. Anyway. Oh, that's time. Yeah. See, that's better. <laughs> anyway, uh, as part of this uh, uh, duty of selecting a new pastor, we also uh, went into several other areas that we can work on. One of them was community outreach. This was a, a part of this. And so in an effort to do like the pastor said, of getting our name out there and literally letting people know what a magnificent, wonderful church we have. Amen. You know, I, I don't have any trouble leading up to a conversation with my friends and other people about my religion and my church. You see, what was it, six, seven months ago, I was up here being prayed for by the rest of you. My whole right side was numb. I had terrific pain in my buttocks and down my back unbearable pain. I wasn't able to walk, drive, do much of anything. So, you know, how when you're talking to people, you always get around to talking about your aches and pains. (laughs) I really had one, serious one. So when I talk to people about the miracle that occurred with the help of you folks and Pastor John here, about what happened to me. I came from being a bedridden envelope back to a whole person. 
Hallelujah. And when you talk about this with people and you say, if it weren't for this church, I don't think I would be standing here. And by the way, where do you go to church, you know, or whatever? But in the in the conversation, it always comes up. People will ask you, and we will provide other means of opening that door where people ask you about your religion or where you go. Well, we have made up a little card. My lovely wife designed this. Uh, it is a business card. And so when you're finished talking to these people and describing how wonderful this church is and our music ministry, I tell them, I've never heard anything like this. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> When you get through telling them all about this, on the back of these cards, on the front is our logo of the church, our, our beautiful little cross in the uh, grapevine thing there. And on the back, it, it says, make Jesus Christ the focus of your life. And it has our address and so forth. And then at the bottom, it has this card given to you by. This is where you write your name and phone number. Amen. And the last thing you say to these people is, give us a try. Come on down. If you like these people well enough to have them join and you in this worship, they are out there. You heard thousands. I think the figure was 7,900 people that are sitting in their living rooms right now in this area, within a 10 mile area. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna provide you. You know the best way to sell something? I came from a job where I was trying to sell a $50 million airplane. <laughs> and you think that isn't hard. <laughs> it is hard. But I'll tell you, some of you may remember the old expression that Packard had Ask the man who owns one. Yeah. And the best way to sell something yeah. is when you have a recommendation from a good friend. You trust them, and if somebody says this is a good church, it probably is a good church. Okay? Yeah. So when you leave today, I have these cards, about 10 to a packet. Unless you're prepared to wrestle a 200 pound gorilla, I'm going to put them in your hand. <laughs> and what I want you to do is put them in your pocket so the next time you're discussing this with somebody you would like to have join this congregation, hand them a card and invite them to come. Part of that, and the, the address and everything, contact information for the church is on it. On the bottom of it is our website. If you have never accessed our website, you need to. Very shortly, we are in the process. Uh, uh, Larry Batten is butting all kinds of odds to get this up and going. But we will be streaming our services live shortly, including our worship. And uh, there's no worship like this in Sedona. Not even close. Uh, so uh, we really want to get the word out. They're in packs of how many, Tom? Ten. 
10. Well, about 10. About 10. You didn't count. You just, no. uh, I can understand, Tom. Them up and put them in if we would, if we would have had a more melancholy person, there would have been exactly ten in that in each pack. Uh, but you just well, that looks good, and you okay, and you put a rubber band around it, and they're on a the table on the back as you leave. Please pick one up, okay? All right, thank you, Tom. That is incredible. Yes, Art. Uh, yeah. Are we freaking again? Hello, hello. It's not working again. Is it okay? Are you hearing it? Okay. Have you filled your connection card out yet? Okay. You're working on it. Everybody fill this, fills this out every week, okay? Place it in the offering plate as it comes by uh, at the end of the hour, all right? Uh, but uh, if you filled one out before, just your name and any other information you'd like to give. If, if this is your first time with us, Welcome, it's great to have you. We're not going to break your door down, especially if you live in another state, okay? Uh, but we would love to have record of your visit with us and any comments that you might have on the back of the card. Any prayer requests that you have, please know that I take these very seriously and we'll be praying with you. One thing that I want to give you opportunity to respond to this morning, the letters on the front of the card, bottom of the card, yeah. We have a team and have, uh, this team has been operative now for several years as far as I know, but a team that puts our church sign, those sandwich board signs, you've seen them, as you pull on a Brewer Road, yeah. there's one there, there's one up at, uh, there's only two, the other one is up at the traffic circle at Brewer and 89A. Those don't just magically appear, somebody has to put them out. Okay, and if we want to retain them, if we don't want them to end up in somebody's curio closet, uh, we have to pick them up after service too. David and Julie Sturzer and Barry and Carolyn uh, Lungard have been leading this ministry for several years. And with, uh, uh, with David's incapacitation here these last several months, it's been basically Barry and Carolyn. If you could help out, either putting them out or picking them up and bringing them back in, for any number of times, once a month, twice a month, three or four, if you're interested, if you're available in being part of this very tangible physical ministry of, of giving at least a sign that there is a church up here on this hillside, would you circle, what do you think we should circle for this? S for sign, okay? You circle S for sign. That's all you make sure that your contact information is clear because we will be giving, and Susan, if you'll do this because I'm going to be gone this week, if you'll get all of those who circle S, if you'll get these cards to Carolyn, and Carolyn will follow up with you and answer any questions you might have and see how you want to be involved, okay? To what degree you'd like to be involved. Any questions on that? All right, good. We're good. Open your Bibles up to Philippians. It's in the New Testament. We're going to use one verse as kind of a springboard. We're going to look at several other passages 
passage of scripture this morning, but one verse to get our minds going in the right direction. Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. Would you stand please in honor of the reading of God's word? Follow along with me as I read. Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. Father, this is not just a promise, it's a statement of fact. Whether or not we recognize what you're trying to do, you're trying to do it. And whether or not we are availing ourselves of the power that you desire to give to us, you want to give it to us. And you stand ready, eager. God, help us this morning. As we look through and examine, try to understand a little bit more how you interact with us and how you move us along in this relationship with yourself. Would you help us to understand this morning? Yes, but more importantly, Holy Spirit, would you would you speak to us and give us that desire to see where you're working, to see what you're doing, to experience and live in and with the power that you are making available to us. We really do love you. Oh Lord, help us to live that way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Bless you. You can be seated. This is a blanket statement. And the more I think about it, when I first read it, I, I, I kind of thought that it was just for Christians. But I, I don't think that's the case. Because as we saw last week, before we ever are even aware of God, He is wooing us. He is, remember the old saying, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink? Do you know the rest of that statement? You can make him thirsty. But you can make him thirsty. And that's what the Holy Spirit is constantly trying to do for us. He's trying to lead us on. This statement that God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. It's true for every beating human heart. God is trying to take you from where you are today to where He knows you should be tomorrow. Your progress pleases God. Our praise, our worship this morning pleased Him. But it also pleases Him when He sees us do you have a desire to be better? If you do, that desire is planted there from God. It's not a mistake, and it's not even your idea. He is the one who is making you aware that there is something more that He has for you. And if you're listening to Him at all, He's not going to let you just settle for less than His best. That's what this holiness thing that we've been talking about uh, is all about. It's about a desire at the very core of our being for God's best. 
But God doesn't just dump his best on us all at one time. Generally, it's a pretty predictable sequence of events that he brings into our lives. Uh, seasons of our relationship with him that almost every one of us will go through. And so that's what we've been examining. We started looking at that last week. Uh, show me the diagram if you would again. Uh, let me just recap for those of you who weren't here. This is what I call the Christian life cycle. The Christian life cycle. I've got a pointer here somewhere. Where is it? Where did you go? <laughs> got to get rid of my phone. Here we go. Okay. It starts here at physical birth, obviously, but really earlier than physical birth. We talked about it last week. It really starts at conception. As soon as we become human, as soon as God begins to woo, uh, weave us together in our mother's womb, metaphorically, uh, we, uh, we start on a life cycle. Now, remember, this line represents our relationship with God. We're going to look at this section here today, uh, but last, last week we talked about it here. Uh, at this point in our existence, our relationship with God really doesn't exist. We are His by creation, but not necessarily by relationship. Uh, that, that is a choice that God leaves up to us. But He is constantly drawing us. He's salting our oats to make us spiritually hungry and thirsty, technically. And I'm sharing with you some technical terms, prevenient grace, initial sanctification, all of these. We're going to be talking today about progressive sanctification. You probably never have heard these terms. You may never hear them again. But uh, I'm a teacher at heart, and I want you to know, okay? So uh, uh, if you're going to go to sleep, you may as well just nod off right now, all right? Just, 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 just do it, uh, because otherwise I want you to engage your brains. Uh, so here, uh, last week we talked about how God is constantly wooing us. Pre means before, venient means coming. The grace that comes before this moment, generally at crisis time, when we recognize that God is making available a relationship with Himself for us, and we desperately need Him. Technically, that's called initial sanctification. It's known generally as our moment of salvation, or uh, from Jesus' words in John chapter 3, our being born again, our spiritual birth. That's what happens. It's not a start for some. Doesn't just, our parents can't do it for us. That's a decision that God leaves up to us. Now remember, there are two questions that I want us to ask all the way through uh, these things that we're considering. What in this is God's part. What can only God do? And secondly, what is my part? What can only I do? Well, this is God's part, and He is doing it. He is making Himself available, but He is a gentleman, and He will not force Himself on anybody, generally. There are times when God chooses somebody, we see it in Scripture, He chose the Apostle Paul, and He said, dude, whether you want to or not, I'm going to use you. I'm going to change you from the inside out. 
And there are times when he does that, okay? But generally, for most of us, he just moves us. Once we come to that point of saying, yes, I need forgiveness, I need to be reconciled with the one who created me, then my relationship with him starts. Now there's a reason this relationship line looks like a roller coaster. This is a, a segment of life that uh, is technically called progressive sanctification. Progressive, obviously, indicating that there is a progression to this. Well, yes, there is. There are several, uh, all the way from Old and New Testament, several scriptural illustrations of this, how God progressively makes us like himself, makes us holy, if you will. Think of the first one. Uh, Exodus. What's the book of Exodus all about? What's, what's the book of Exodus called? Exodus. It's about being freed, about escaping from, being freed from the most powerful nation in the world, two million plus people. God says, you are my people. I'm going to protect you and provide for you so that ultimately I can come into human existence through you in the second person of the Trinity, Jesus. That's uh, then what happens? If it, they are free, that, that, that exodus being freed from Egypt, crossing the Red Sea on dry ground, that would be analogous to yours and my salvation. That, that is really, when you think about it, the people of Israel did not have a relationship with God up to that point. They didn't have the Ten Commandments. They, there was no official agreement between them and God. That started when they crossed the Red Sea under God's enabling. And then, <laughs> okay, now they're, they're saved, if you will. They have a relationship with God. The law has been given. The law was basically God's attempt to enable his people to understand what he created them for in relationship with himself and in relationship with each other. If you see the Ten Commandments as just a, uh, an unreachable uh, list of ten rules, you're really missing it. The Ten Commandments describe for us what God wove into our DNA as his human creation in, a, in our need for a relationship with the one who created us and with those around us. Okay, so now they have that... Uh, the, the relationship has been started. They have been, quote, initially sanctified, if you will. What happened for the next 40 years? Up and down and up and down. They, they get hungry and God would feed them. They get thirsty and, and he would give them something to drink. And as soon as he gave them the water, what did they start doing? Complaining about something else. They want meat. And so we gave them quail. Now, if I had eaten quail for 40 years, I'd probably grumble a little bit too. But hey, that's an Old Testament analogy, metaphor, if you will, for this period of life of relationship with our God that every one of us experience once we come into that relationship. 
there are several descriptions of it in the New Testament. Let me read just a few of them for you. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, the verse just before the one we read a moment ago. Paul says, work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. Doesn't say work hard to earn your salvation. It says work hard to prove, to give evidence that you have a relationship with Him. If you know God personally, it should make a difference. People should be able to tell. It's really that simple. Okay. Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. Let me just give you the guts of it. Paul says, I press on to, perfect, to possess perfection. Now again, remember, uh, the, the Greek here that's used is not indicating some flawless perfection. It's indicating maturity. It's indicating balance. It's indicating the kind of relationship with God for which we are created. That's what Paul says, I press on to possess that. Other words of Paul in Romans chapter 7, one of the most agonizing chapters in all of the New Testament. And I'll, I'll pull something out of it here in, in just a few minutes that give you a more clear understanding of how Paul is agonizing here. But in, in chapter 7 of Romans verse 18, he says, I want to do what is right, but I can't. Okay. These are the diagram again, please. These are realities that we face during this period, this season of progressive sanctification in our relationship with God. Let me let me give some characteristics of this. Have any of you ever read Charles Dickens' uh, uh, Tale of Two Cities? Yeah. Remember, what two cities were they? Do you remember? Paris and London. London and Paris, okay? Do you remember what the very first phrase in that novel was? You'll know when you hear it. was the best of times, and it was the worst of times. That describes this this progressive sanctification period for us. It's ecstasy followed by, at times, almost depression. It's I love you, Jesus, too. What in the snot have I gotten myself into? <laughs> Jesus, I don't even know if, if you exist. Now you're a Christian, okay? Don't forget that. You are a child of God, adopted into His family, Justified by faith. <laughs> but you're going. Ah, I, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> <coughs> bottom line, really. The bottom line characteristic of this period. Show me the, the diagram, if you will. When your relationship with Jesus starts, we're saved, we're born again, we're justified, we're adopted into His family. Our relationship with Him skyrockets. Now, there, there are several analogies to this, but I am a strong believer, and I think I mentioned it last week or the week before, 
if any song is a true love song, it can be sung about Jesus too. And, and really its ultimate object was intended to be God or Jesus, whether the author of that song realized it or not. It, it's a, a, an evidence of common grace that God gives to all of his creation that, that were created for this kind of love. Well, marriage is the, the, the other primary human relationship, okay? So everything that we talk about here is also analogous to our marriage relationship and experiences. This is our wedding. What happens right after our wedding? We go on a honeymoon, hopefully, if we're fortunate enough. And we think that woman is absolutely perfect. She's, she may as well have a halo over her head. He can do no wrong. He's at my beck and call. Come on now, you remember. If you've been there, you remember. So your relationship just skyrockets. And now, now let's get back to our relationship with the Lord. When I become a Christian, the only thing I want to do is read the Bible. Because apparently... He wrote it, or he spoke it, or he did something. Yeah, I mean, it's from him. All I want to do is pray. All I want to do is, is go to church and be with God's people. My relationship with him is just on through the ceiling. Until. Give me the diagram for a favor. That little line right there. Put a PS on it. What might you think P.S. would stand for? Pretty sure. Pretty sure. Pretty sure. Well, I made this thing up, so I get to label it, okay? Power sure. The very first time when I become aware in my relationship with God that he is requiring something of me that I don't want to get. Dude, that's just a little bit too much. I mean, that's fanatical. Yeah. I ain't fanatical about nothing but the Chiefs. Horrible okay? <laughs> memory. Power show. That now it seems ludicrous for you or me to be in a power struggle with God, doesn't it? I mean, rationally, we think, you got, he created you. He's the all-powerful one. He's the one who knows it all. He knows the beginning from the end. But we get into power struggles with him all the time. All the time. It's part of our broken, rebellious being. Do you have, did you have to teach your kids when you were raising them how to say no to you? <laughs> no, it's part of being broken. And so our relationship with the Lord skyrockets until we get to that first time where we become very aware. He wants me to do something I'm just not ready to do. And this season of our lives this progressive sanctification season, analogous 
to the Jews in their 40 years wandering in the desert, most of the time our response to him is no. Ain't going there. I'm a Christian. I'm not rejecting my Christianity. I'm not rejecting my salvation. But my relationship with God halts. And it will go no further. Because I've said no. And going there. Maybe later. I, I use the statement. Maybe when I get too old to have any more fun. Maybe. <laughs> but not now. My relationship with the Lord just takes a nosedive. Now, notice here. None of these dips ever come below this uh, salvation moment. We're not losing our salvation here. That's not the issue. But my, my relationship with him takes a nosedive. I don't want to go to church. Because every time I do, it's like the pastor's been following me around all week. <laughs> and he's preaching right at me. And he's kicking my tail from one side of the church to the other. I don't want to hear that. So I ain't going to church. Don't want to read the Bible. Because I have so many questions and I don't understand it. And it's... And every time there's something there that God is saying, John, look, listen, and obey. And I'm going, don't even want to hear it. Don't want to pray because I get in conversation with him. And you know what? He talks back. <laughs> the Holy Spirit talks back. And he says, John, and I don't want to hear it. <laughs> so from this moment of power struggle, I just take a nosedive until I come to the point I surrender. Okay, think about your relationship with your mate, with your spouse. That first fight, and you thought it was all over. And you were awful glad you signed, or maybe you regretted you signed a legal document. <laughs> because it would have been over right there. But your relationship just, I mean, you can tell. You may not know the person very well yet, but you can tell when they're ticked off. But you don't want to hear it. And so your relationship just takes a nosedive. Until you come to the point where you say, Honey, I'm sorry. <laughs> you were right. It's called surrender. And that's what every one of us have to do in our relationship with God. Let's go back to the diagram. Surrender. When I choose to surrender, my relationship with Him again skyrockets until I get to the next, and they always come, the next power struggle. During this time of my life, generally my, my gut reaction to Him is no ready for that. It's just a little bit too fanatical. Maybe later, but not now. See, that, that's, <coughs> that, that's 
the biggest thing that's happening during this 40 years in the world. <coughs> Another characteristic, and, and really this flows right out of this power struggle surrender cycle, is all about trust. It's all about me learning whether or not I can trust God with the most cherished secrets, people, attitudes, behaviors of my life. Can I really trust you with that? Think about in your marriage relationship. You are learning how to trust. Now, I've been long enough in the ministry and dealt with enough folks struggling in their relationships and justifiably so. And I've seen marriages explode, some just disintegrate very slowly. But most often, the biggest thing at stake was trust. You broke trust. I'll ever be able to trust you again. Now this may upset some of you, but I'm going to say it. Because I've had to say it to several spouses. I don't know if I can ever trust him again. He's hurt me so badly. I don't know if I'll ever be able to believe another word he says. And if I do, it's going to take years and years and years and years to gain that back. <coughs> My friend, that's why God, in describing the, the love that we are to have for one another, He described it in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 as agape love. And that's the kind of love He has for us. Now just think. If the first time you blew it, God looked at you and said, you've broken trust with me, and you're going to have to earn my trust back, and it may take years. It's not what he does, does he? He says, if you confess, I will forgive. And the relationship goes right back usually starts where it left off and grows from there. In a marriage relationship, when trust has been broken, to require that trust can only be reestablished over a period of years is unrealistic and unfair. One or the other of you, generally the broken one, the one who has been wounded, is going to have to make a choice. I will choose to trust you. Is that fair? No. But it's the way God loves you and me. In a way, it's the way He wants you and me to love each other. Okay, that was a tangent. That was free of charge. You don't have to pay for that. So we're really learning whether or not we can trust God during this period in our relationship with them. During this period, this, this 
Oh, come on, please don't freak out on me now. This <laughs> progressive sanctification time. Uh, sin is probable. Okay? It's likely. Now remember sin, we talked about this several weeks ago. Uh, certainly sin is that word hamartia, which means anything less than a bullseye, anything less than perfection. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about that sin that James describes as when we know what we should do and we choose not to do it. The kind of sin that breaks relationships always has an element of choice, of volition, of decision. I choose to do this. During this period in my relationship with the Lord, Carolyn, I know I'm frustrating you to death going back and forth, but I need the diagram. During this time, sin, willful rebellion against you, it's, it's probable. Now that's going to change it. I'm not going to get there this week. I wish I could, but we'd be here for two or three hours, and I know you don't want to do that. This season of a Christian's life, this is not where God wants us to live. Sadly, in my experience, the vast majority of Christians never get out of this stage of life. They live in a constant season of a wonderful relationship with God, a power struggle, and a rebellion. Up and down and up and down. This is not where God wants us to live. And He doesn't want willful rebellion to be our natural tendency, which it is during this season of life. I, I begin to feel powerless during this time. I know what's right. Most of the time I want to do what's right, but, the, but I feel the power. I, I feel power, powerless to do what I know is right. My will is often overpowered by my desires. You see, I, I, more than obeying God, I have a desire to be accepted, to be respected, to possess, to accumulate, to be in control. Those desires at this point in my life in my relationship with God are stronger than my desire to be totally surrendered to Him, which is what, when we get to sanctification, what that's entire sanctification, holiness, that's what it's all about. I, I can start to feel stuck. this as good as it gets? This Christian thing? And if this is as good as it gets, I don't, I don't know how long I can take this. I don't know how long I want to. I begin to lose hope that my life can ever be any better. I begin to feel like my own worst enemy. Now let me take you to one of the most graphic pictures that the Apostle paints in all of the New Testament. It's in that painful, self-descriptive passage 
of Romans chapter 7, where Paul is saying that the things I want to do, I don't have the power to do. At the end of that agonizing confession, in verse uh, 24, he, depending on the version you use, but I'll use, uh, uh, I think the New American Standard puts it this way. He cries out to God and he says, who will deliver me from this body of death? You've read those words before. Are you aware of what, was, what Paul was describing? He was using an analogy. Because in the Roman world to which Paul wrote, the Romans were, from my study, the most brutal people that's ever ruled the planet. They had many forms of execution. We know one of them was crucifixion. And that's what, uh, of course, the way Jesus was murdered. But there was another one. And this one is what Paul is referring to. This, this practice was the condemned criminal, the one convicted of a capital crime for which the penalty is death. That convicted person would be strapped face to face with a dead body. And they would have to live with that dead body strapped face to face until the worms that were consuming that body ate into theirs and killed them. And this is what Paul is saying. He's saying, give that the, the uh, diagram please. This up and down, in and out, power struggle, surrender cycle. Looks like a roller coaster, doesn't it? Saying, knowing the things that, that I that I that I should do and really wanting to do them, but I, I find myself doing exactly the opposite. It's like having a dead body strapped face to face with me. And it's killing me. Who will cut the chains? from that dead body and free me so that I can live. It's pretty vivid, isn't it? But that's exactly what we're facing and every believer faces it for one de- to one degree or another and for a certain time frame or another. But remember, this is not God's will for you and me. His will for you and me is our entire sanctification. Well, I hope you can be here. It's going to be two weeks before we do it because we have the history celebration next Sunday during our worship hour. Oh, I hope you can be here because this thing that technically is called entire sanctification, we call it holiness for ordinary people. That's where God wants us to but it's impossible without His help, without the Holy Spirit's enabling, without His filling, constantly, moment by moment. Wow. Okay, so two questions. What's God's part here? God is working. According to the verse that we started out with, Philippians chapter 2, remember? For God is working in you giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. 
It's his idea, his design, and he is making everything available to you and me that we need to live in that relationship with him. That's his part. He's doing it. He's beginning to change our desires. He's beginning to make us want his will more than our own. Only he can do that. But that's what he's doing. And he's imparting power to me. And I'm beginning to understand this God can do anything. Anything. He can even change my heart. He can even enable me to surrender totally to him every moment of every day. What's my part? Well, my part is to learn to trust him. Don't run away from him. But learn to trust him. Choose to trust him. <laughs> He's made that choice to you. That's what grace is all about. You didn't deserve it. You didn't earn it. And you'll probably blow it again. But that doesn't mean he doesn't love you. He chooses to trust you with his life-transforming presence. You and I need to learn how to trust him. And during this time in my relationship with him, I'm learning how to surrender. Surrender is not something that we in great America, I don't know that anybody loves America more than I do. But in our wonderful American culture, we don't surrender to anybody or anything. In our contemporary culture, what we're going to talk about when we get to, I'm going to, I'm going to spend a whole Sunday on the parallels between this life, this Christian life cycle, and our marriage life cycle. The key to it is found in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. Verse 22 says, Wives, submit to your husbands. That's where most men start. <laughs> we really like that part. But you know what verse 21 says? Submit yourselves, therefore, one to the other. It's called mutual submission. Mutual surrender. That's where a healthy relationship lives in our relationship with our spouses, but most of all in our relationship with God. Let's pray. Father, I don't know where each of us are today in this life cycle process, but I would suspect that there are many today right here in your presence, Christ-centered Wesleyan Church, that have been stuck in this progressive sanctification, power struggle, surrender, power struggle. We've been stuck in this process maybe for years. Maybe we've kind of settled in and become satisfied with it. Well, that's as good as it gets. Christianity is just kind of pain in the rear. 
but I suppose it's worth it. I mean, going to heaven, I guess it'll be worth it. I hope it will. And we've just kind of settled in for a pattern that is so much less than what you designed us for and what you're offering to us. Thank you for your patience with us. Thank you for even right after we blow it, we willfully say, no, I'm not going to do that, even though I know that's what you want. I'm not going to do it. And as soon as we come to a point of surrender, God, forgive me. <laughs> you wipe the slate clean. You choose to trust me again. You're amazing. Would you help us, Father, to understand it's not where you designed us to live. It's not the human sweet spot. It's human misery land. Christian misery land. Holy Spirit, would you continue to make us hungry and thirsty for true righteousness. That right relationship with yourself for which you designed us. And that you are offering to us. Don't let us settle for second best. Holy Spirit, continue to pursue us, continue to woo us. Thank you for your patience. Oh God, put a holy dissatisfaction in us for anything less than your best. It's in Jesus' name that we ask. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Let's stand together. We're going to close in worship here in a moment. Ushers, would you come? We're going to pass the offering pouches down each aisle. Remember to put your connection card in there and your tithe and your offering, recognizing God for who He is. Father, we love you. We give tangible expression of that and what we return to you right now in Jesus' name. Continue to receive our worship in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.